0: Sri Guru Vaishnava Guru Paramparaki Jai So, good morning. So we're reading from the second and the seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. And thus far Krishna informed Arjuna that he plans to tell him in this chapter and these, these chapters, the middle chapters, about how taking shelter of him and in Sharanagati with Shraddha and coming to the point of one's mind being attached to him mayasaktamana but uh, all of this in the, in the, which, will occur, which will occur will come about in the context of yoga Myunjang. in the context of yoga he ended the sixth chapter with some discussion of yoga and um, more of a traditional sense of yoga is, is given there, dhyana yoga, meditation and so forth. But the end ended that chapter, the sixth chapter, with what? That's right. He said, Yoginam shadhaman of all types of yogis, one well, who's uh, engaged in bhakti, in relation to me, this is the best of all. So these stages then, from Shradha to āsakti and so forth, that constitute sadhna bhakti and then, of course, bhava-bhakti and prema-bhakti, this is all bhakti-yoga, yoga-myunjan. And he said that he, in these chapters he wants to explain it in such a way uh, that samshayam uh, samagaramam, you won't have any doubts about it, you'll be clear, this is the best course to take. And then he uh, and he said that uh, he glorified the, the nature of the discussion to follow and said it will be full of ghanam and big ganum and uh, won't leave anything, any stone uncovered, talking about uh, the, um, the godhood of Godhead, the sweetness of Godhead. Theoretical knowledge, the practical result of the application of such it constitutes real knowing, from knowledge to wisdom, gyanam to vipkanam. And then he spoke about the rarity of the attainment of that which, that goal that, uh, that he's directing Arjuna to. And then he begins to elaborate upon his nature. In the form of mentioning his intermediate and secondary Shaktis. The uh, Jeev Shakti and the Maya Shakti. He mentioned the Maya Shakti in brief. And we, we discussed that in brief, how it is some, uh, the Sankhya explanation. Of the unfolding of material nature by mentioning the primary elements as they are understood in that system of thought, it's to be understood that that their uh, their transformations are also <coughs> included. That means within earth, water, fire, air, ether, for example, you also have sound, touch, taste, smell, and so on, and the corresponding senses, mind is included. As the sixth sense, and you know, and in the, the perceiving senses and in the, in the senses of action and so forth. Man, kam, mano, buddhiri, bacha, intelligence, mahatattva, mana can also mean this, mahatattva, the pradhan. And, um, and so this brings us into consideration of the modes of material nature and the understanding of matter, of material nature that takes them into consideration while the system of Sankhya may appear antiquated as we mentioned in terms of analyzing the elemental constituents of material nature in comparison to today's investigation into the into the atom and and wherever that takes us <laughs> um the gunas the modes of material nature have not appeared yet in the laboratory <coughs> so this is a very, very sophisticated and interesting um understanding of the kind of the forces, if you will, of material nature in terms of their influence upon our both our psyche uh, and our uh, and our bodies <clears throat> and that concept of course is elaborated upon in the Gita as is the Maya Shakti later on, and he mentioned the Jeev Shakti, of course, and uh, how it 's sustaining the world, but it 's nonetheless under the influence of the world at the same time. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, an interesting point. Sometimes Prabhupada used to explain that the the, the diva soul is qualitatively one but quantitatively different. And there's some truth to that, of course, because uh, they're both the Lord and ourselves of the nature of consciousness. (coughs) At the same time, it may also be said that we are qualitatively different and quantitatively different. So there are different kinds of souls. Do you follow me? Their souls constituted of jiva-shakti and their souls constituted of (coughs) swarup shakti like Krishna's associates and so forth. So it's a big topic. It's a kind of a specialty, I guess, of Vedanta, souls and consciousness. And, of course, he mentions these two by way of wanting to tell us about his transcendence, how he's transcendent. To the whole world. The world is constituted of these two Shaktis, everything we see, and then it's a mixture of consciousness and matter, and he's the source of both of them. So his godhood is extolled by way of explaining them. The whole world comes from me. And then to, to emphasize that point further, he says that, uh, He gives an example. There's nothing superior to me. Everything in the world of your experience is inferior to me and um, rests uh, on me like pearls are strung upon a thread. So the world, in other words, if you pull the thread from the pearls, then there's no more necklace and all the pearls will fall. So he's holding the whole thing together. So with that then verse, he takes us, he starts to take us, he takes us to the height of his transcendence above the world, source of everything. He starts to take us within the world and explain to us how he's both transcendent and imminent. That's another way of appreciating his uh, oneness and indifference. He's in the world, he's, he's beyond the world. so hard to get away from him. But um, we tend, we find it difficult to find him anywhere. This is a great mystery of of Vishnu Maya, the power of Vishnu Maya. So then he wants to give us a way, by way of speaking about his eminence, that we can think of him in in general terms. He's very pragmatic, though at the same time very practical. This is Rasoham Apsakundaya Prabhasmin Shashishurayo Pranava Sarva Vedeshu Shabdake Purusham Nishru Punyogananda Pratipyam Cha Tejas Chasme Vibhavasho Jivanam Sarva Tapas Chasme Tapas Vishuro Vijamam Vijamam Sarva Bhutanam Vidiphartha Sanatanam Budhir Budhimatam Asmi Tejas Tejas Vinamiyam Balam Balavatam Chaham Kama Raghavivarjitam dharma virudho bhudhesu Kamosmi smi kamo-smi-bharata-śrubha, yaccaiva-satvika-bhāva-rājasasthama-sasca-je, mata eveti-tanbethi-tanbidi-natvam-aham-tesu-tema-e. These are some nice uh, verses, again, whereby Krishna describes himself in relation to the world of our experience. And we find a section like this, a large section like this later on in, in this middle section of the gita in the 10th chapter entitled vibhuti yoga so vibhuti means like opulence so these are the opulences or prominent things in material nature that uh, are thought to be representative of him not as a section to be uh, glossed over as we may think in fact do we find it that after that, in the tenth chapter, after that lengthy description of uh, of bodies of water, I am the ocean, and of, of immovable things, I am the Himalayas, and so forth. Um, as he says at the end of this section, and more emphatically there, he says, "All these things are but a spark of my splendor," indicating that he hasn't said it all. <laughs> in fact, if we turn to the Uddhava Gita and Bhagavad, we find another long section describing. A, of this, I'm that; of that, I'm this, and, and so forth. So, it's uh, expandable, if you will. Therefore, as I say of him, of, of big trees in California, I am the redwoods, uh, something like that. We live there in the redwoods, as you know. So, the idea is that uh, powerful manifestations of material nature are meant to remind us of of him, and. As I mentioned in this tenth chapter, he gives this this lengthy, similar explanation, and that leads us to the eleventh chapter, where we're, where Krishna Arjuna wants to wants to see that practically. More or less, Krishna is saying, everything is inside of me; I'm inside of everything. So he has a curiosity to he could actually see like that. And of course, Arjuna is then given eyes to see and and Krishna shows him this, this universal form, which is often thought to be the be-all and end-all. There, He's seen it all now. But those who think like that don't, don't reason so well, not in terms of what the text says, neither with any very good spiritual logic, because if Arjuna is to see the be-all and end-all of beauty, the beatific vision, to use a Catholic term, then... Why will he be afraid of that? Why would he want to turn away from that? <laughs> he does want to turn away from that. He finds it disconcerting. If this is the end, the highest realization. why is it disconcerting and and of course, one of the reasons it's disconcerting is because what what spiritual life is about, as these chapters teach ultimately is about love love of God, and um it should be clear that the the more specificity there is with regard to the object of love, the more there is potential for loving it, the more capacity one is afforded to love. So the specificity of the form of Krishna, the color of Krishna, the qualities of Krishna, the pastimes of Krishna, that people will erroneously think represent some lesser idea of the absolute specific. As it is, because why? Because specificity, form, and particulars conjure up a, 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 a notion of limitation in our our minds. Like in, let's say, in early early Greek philosophy, Plato had had the the, the, the essences or, or something like that. There was there was hmm. the forms, the forms, yeah. <laughs> and so they were transcendent. But uh, um, they were a bit more essences, I think, than forms. But anyway, a horse had hoarseness. You know, a man had manness, something like that. A woman had womanness, and 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 and, and, and these were um, microcosmic manifestations of a horse. Was a microcosmic manifestation of hoarseness. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of horse. <laughs> it comes out differently in the Greek, I'm sure. But um, So, as profound as that, I ideas, and I, I, I appreciate it. Uh, they say, I think it was um, Alfred North Whitehead. Yeah. Said all the philosophers, he's, of course, only talking about the West, were all footnotes to Plato. He had some good points, apparently. Um, but anyway, this kind of idea that uh, specificity is uh, is a kind of a limitation is perhaps not that well thought out or that form is a limitation it may as well be it may as well facilitate as well as it, it limits if you take for example liquid and give it a form like a glass, then you can take advantage of it perhaps more than in its uh, Formless if you will state so it's it 's not our experience readily that form necessarily limits in fact, often we have experience that form facilitates, and uh, so anyway, we, we we think that forms, names and particulars and so forth are all um, maybe it 's just part of the Western Plato as you know whatever inherited thinking or something. These are limitations, and the absolute, the higher ideal, the universal, then, rather than the provincial, will be somehow less, less, less specific. But in terms of love, as I mentioned, specificity, this is required. The more, the more you know about the person, the more detail you know, the greater your capacity to love. So the details about the Godhead, this is important, and this is why our Arjuna was more interested, because he's involved in the doctrine of love, bhakti. So he's more interested in the personal form of Krishna than, than the universal form. Not that Krishna's form is not universal, that's a fact. The object of our love is universal, and we forget that, or we don't realize that, that's why we... Um, we tend to act one, one way in the temple or in front of our dave, but another way you know, somewhere else. And so this description here in this, in this chapter of a few verses and what we find in the tenth canto, or tenth chapter of bhagavad Gita, as I'm mentioning, may be useful for us, actually, to think, to, to help us understand the universality of the object of our love. And when we stand before the deity in the temple, Conduct ourselves prayerfully and, and and so forth and so on. But the teaching is, of course, that He's everywhere. Right? Actually, the teaching of the Sundarbhas is that the form of Krishna is unlimited, even though it has specificity and stand, can stand before us. In a, as Brahma said in a medium-sized form, as he told Krishna's mind was boggled. He realized, You're the absolute truth, and You're standing before me in a medium-sized form means not infinite, which would be one end of the spectrum, or finite, uh, or infinitesimal, I should say, the other end of the spectrum, but in between, and apprehensible by the material senses, or so it appeared. of course. He's not apprehensible by material senses, but by purified senses. But nonetheless, he does come before the devotee, you know Brahma had an Antardarshan in Bhagavatam. When Krishna spoke the Chatur shloka to him, he appeared inside. Snathu Goswami describes this at some length in Briat Bhagavatamrita. Antardarshan and the and the, the difference between Antardarshan, in internal darshan. In other words, Brahma was sitting in meditation, following the lead Tapa, and performing his austerity. And Krishna appeared to him. If a third person was standing there, they wouldn't have seen Krishna. But it was. He spoke to Krishna. He shook his hand. He, he, re- he received the chatur shloka, the, 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 the four verses, the seed of the Bhagavatam. But he may also appear outside the devotee before him. And <laughs> yeah, this is a superior form of darshan of the or the Lord showing himself, as the term darshan implies, to see me, see me, and. You can see something like that. So, this is the teaching of the, of the Bhagavad school. The, the form of Krishna is actually unlimited. We find it in the dhamad Lila. In dhamad Lila, Krishna's mother, Jasodamai, tries to tie him up with rope, and it's two inches too short. And she adds more rope and more rope, and it's always two inches too short. Krishna's not getting fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter all the time. He's staying just the same size. She had a little rope, a little like elastic, like a little string around his belly with a bell. That's a system. And you can still find children like that in India, in Brudge, in the, in, the, in the village with they a little bell or so, like a cow bell, but it's a child bell. It means if, you know, if you don't hear the bell, you go, okay, where, where is she? I'm gonna go and look for her. She's out of hearing range. Something like that. So Krishna had a little a little band around his waist and a bell, and that wasn't getting bigger and bigger. So he was tieable, and she was, he was ultimately tieable tieable with the rope. Actually, she began. She pulled a ribbon from her hair to try to tie him. Sri Goswami beautifully described this Vatsalya bhava in in uh, uh, Gopal in these books we find sometimes difference difference in the narratives of details. Sometimes it's explained the difference because they happen differently in different yugas and so forth. But sometimes the difference is the devotees are telling the story with feeling. And so there, what the story is about is the bhava. So when Jibu Goswami comes upon this Bhagwat Lila, full with vatsalya bhava and chashoda, my, uh, she's the she's the prime figure of of Vatsalya. The full, perfect embodiment. No one has more Vatsalya bhakti than than she. The paradigmatic figure of of motherly love. He becomes he swells up with this feeling inside himself. What is all that? His a village girl himself. What is his? What is her feeling? towards Jashoda oh. her mother, her mother-in-law, the mother of Braj, and so forth. So he fills up with this feeling. It's also there inside of Madhurya, as is Sakya, Dasya, Shanta and so forth. It's the full uh, adhirasa filled with that and, and, and coming across then in the narrative of the Bhagavat as he's going through it, this Damodar Lila. He fills, the heart fills up with Vatsalya Bhakti and he tells the story and you can feel the Vatsalya Bhakti, he changes the details and so forth. It's, it's more than a poetic license, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a spiritual emotive license. The whole idea of the narrative in the Bhagavad is not, the, is not as much the, the, the details but the feeling of the whole thing. Indeed it's sometimes said that Indian history is recorded is a recording of the feeling of the times more than a recording of the of the details each and every detail of the time so this is certainly true of the of the Bhagwat the history of bhagwan <laughs> is it is which is an ongoing un- unlimited affair, and he is rasaraj the the personification of rasananda such. Uh, ocean akilarasamritto murti the oceanic form of avrasananda so the history about him is the history of the feeling of Bhagavan that's why Chaitanya Bhagavat can also be the Bhagavat. it's the feeling of Bhagavan Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a, is a particular feeling of, of Sri Krishna isn't it? feeling that it, in terms of his esoteric crisis or his existential crisis Am I the king of love? If so, why she has more love than I've ever experienced myself? Who am I? What is her love? How can I taste that? This is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is Krishna. That book describing him, that is is the extension of the Bhagavad as well. So, wonderfully he describes that story. Some different details. This is the reason. Because he's connected to the feeling and then... And to bring it out, he he explains it in a particular way. So he says that she took the ribbon from her hair first to try to tie him up. And why? Because at first she tried to to chastise him, and then he started to run away. And therefore she wanted to tie him up because she thought he might run away. Not as much to punish him, but to keep him there. So she pulled a ribbon from her head, and then she apprehended him and tried to tie him. But again, it was two inches too short. And so the neighboring ladies who had been, previously, had been complaining to Mother Yashoda about how her son had been stealing into their homes and and taking their their butter and yogurt, about which she denied, it's not possible, no, he couldn't be doing that. But then she was not uninfluenced... By their their complaints, and then she told her husband, "Now the ladies are saying that he goes." She denied it to them, but but to her husband, she said, "They're saying he's going to their house. What kind of husband are you? What kind of cows have you got? What kind of milk are you providing?" Then our son has to go somewhere else to eat, eat milk and butter and so forth. So some special, the best cows in the herd were taken, and the special grasses were grown. And the, the cows were grazed on these grasses, and from this milk, then, Mother Yashoda was, 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 was boiling on the stove, and Dhammadhar Leela, that milk. And although she's the queen, and says many maidservants, they were all busy with the Govardhan arrangement, not the Govardhan arrangement, but Indriyagya, which turned into the Govardhan Puja. It was an annual affair, they were busy with that, so home alone she was, and there was her dilemma. Cooking milk for Krishna and nursing Krishna. She put him down to attend to the milk. He cried and stole off and broke the butter pot and so on. Anyway, with the two in... With the... She tried to tie him And the neighboring ladies. Hearing the commotion reached up over the wall to look uh, with some satisfaction and then began throwing rope to Malayasota. Here, take this. Add this to your... To your ribbon, add this, add this, and she, practically all the rope of Vrindavan couldn't tie Krishna. It was all two inches too short. And then seeing her endeavor of persp- perspiring, her affection for him, understanding her spirit, wanting to keep him there, and he wouldn't run away. So he allowed himself, of course, to be tied. The point relative to our discussion, of course, is what, that her, her form, his form was not getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. It remained the same size. But it was universal. All the rope and Vrindavan couldn't tie him up. And what is Vrindavan? Small place, right? Measurement of so many miles. Finite in appearance. But no, all of the Vaikuntha locus are there. All the feeling that constitutes, but the world is a feeling. That's what life is about. It's it, 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 without feeling. There's no meaning to life. Like I mentioned in my book, Rasa. If the, when it, when it, when a man hits a home run, that's the thing in America. Okay. then the, the ball, you know, goes a long distance. It hits the bat. Uh, it speeds in at a certain velocity. Hits the bat, which is going in the other direction at a certain certain pace, and then there's certain trajectory. of How it hits and goes up in the sky and lands in the seats or out of the stadium and so forth. Well, all of that is really pretty boring, <laughs> right? What, tra- what speed, what trajectory, how fast he hit it, how far it went, and all these, these are all, if anything, an afterthought. But the feeling, the emotion behind the whole thing, that has the whole hundred thousand people in the stands, standing on their feet and raising their hands and, and so forth This so is the feeling behind it this is what life is about so rasa means that it means, it, in a sense it means the juice the feeling of course we have to understand a little tattva to enter into that so this is some tattva Krishna's form is unlimited Shri him with all the ropes and that's a lot of rope that's, that's all the Vaikuntha's there all the feeling of Vaikuntha Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, well, Shanta, I should say, and Dasya, and more, are all, this is this is the distance between these places, distance of feeling, and the distance between ourselves and that spiritual world. It's also a distance of feeling. We're distanced by an atrophied heart, by lack of, of real feeling. The feeling in this world is it's a kind of meanness, actually. It's a feeling, but it's, it's not, a, it's not accommodating. It's not affectionate. Hunters and the hunted. Such as our animalistic kind of predicament. We're, we're prone towards animality. And Darwin had it right in some respects, no doubt. That's jivo jiva sidjivanam Jivo jiva sidjivanam One living being is food for another survival of the of this of the brutist. Whoever is more brutish can, will be more more successful in this world. But however brutish you are, you'll die nonetheless. So there's another idea that, that is also there. In it that it appears kind of, I would think, in human human sensibility. It doesn't make sense As much as there's truth to that in Bhagavatam, Darwin is only echoing Bhagavatam in this regard, jivo jivasya jivanam, one living being is food for another. Therefore, sometimes it's said, long before Darwin, the Hindus were evolutionists. It's a little bit different theory, but this part is true. One living being is food for another. But the sense in human society also is that the most fit person, the most competent person, is not the brutest, the, the meanest person. No one will think that Hitler was more complete than Mother Teresa. They will think, oh, she's a more more refined person, a more evolved person. They don't think that brute strength constitutes the height of evolution. There's some truth to what he says, and as I say, Babacom says the same thing, but it says more as well Mm -hmm. because as brutish as you may be (laughs) as strong as you may be to dominate over others material nature is nonetheless dominating over you and everyone has to die so to evolve and to live successfully is to live forever and for that we have to learn how to be kind that is the secret the heart is the center of the human experience not the brawn not of the brain, but the heart. And that is atrophied. That must be exercised. as what we mean by feeling. It must be exercised thoughtfully, a thoughtful exercise of the heart. This is bhakti, vedanta. And that exercise will bridge the gap then between our present stance, present position, and the Vaikuntha. Vaikuntha, that is the end of all misery. I tell you, it is the end of all misery, you're going there, don't worry, <laughs> it'll all end, forever. There's a home, really home, a true homeland of the soul, you're going there. Not only is it spacious and accommodating in that way, unlike our material confines of nation, family, the limits of our own body that we constantly want to get out of and go, go beyond, as I've said before, in human life, we'll get a sense, oh, we could do anything. We could fly, we could live underwater, and, and like, fly in the sky like a bird, or, and live in the, underneath. Somebody, I, I read an article just to build his own $10 million submarine or something like that. He's going to market them, personal submarines for people to explore the depths. <laughs> so why we want to do these things Birds don't think, I wish I could live underwater. Fish don't think, I wish I could fly like the birds. This this arises in human consciousness, because in human consciousness we've come that much out from underneath the limitations of material nature that they place upon us. And the sense of ourself is budding and coming to the surface. And we can be all those things, because why is the bird flying? Because there's consciousness in that form. Why is the fish swimming? Because there's consciousness, soul there. Soul can do all those things and more. But It, it, it has a life beyond the limits of material nature, the confines of that, and the struggle that it, that's involved under its uh, oppressive rule. It's oppressive because it's foreign to us. We're of a different stuff, of a different nature. So we're a stranger and a, strange land, we have a homeland, and it's a heartland. So you have to exercise the heart to go there, thoughtfully. Some brain exercise also necessary, some tattva, some, therefore some discussion of Shastra and so forth. And in relation to that, we learn to exercise our heart in a healthy way. Not, that in, that, not in a mean way, jivo jivanam taking, killing to live, but dying to live. Dying to live. Dying to meanness. Dying to that that hard-heartedness. Bhakti is about heart softening. It's so soft. Bhakti, the heart, is so soft in bhakti that it's repelled by jnana. You understand me? Ignorance is hard-hearted. But bhakti's perspective... Gan is hard-hearted as well. How soft is the heart then, of the inhabitants of Braj? Gan Shunya bhakti. No without Gan, unencumbered by Gan, completely soft, melted. Do you understand me? By Gan, our heart will, will soften. We'll stop acting in a mean way, exploiting others and so forth, in the realm of karma. We become peaceful, no more fighting. But this Gan from the Bhakti perspective, if you simply pursue Gan from the Bhakti perspective, your heart will be hard. So, how soft of heart is the Bhakti heart of Braj? Mahaprabhu like this idea Gan Shunya Bhakti. Unencumbered by Gan. This is the homeland, moving freely. So we'll go there by, my movement of the heart, by feeling, thoughtful feeling, some little knowledge. But that feeling itself has knowledge. It is rajavidyam, and it is Raja-Guyam also, and it is Pabitram, idam uttamam. It's secret. It's pure. It's secret. Therefore, it's hard to detect. To understand the devotee, that is very difficult. And movement of bhakti is pure, but it may seem unpure. Radharani looks to be the most impure, stealing off with with another adulteress. She appears to be the most unpure. Krishna tells us, don't think like that. It appears as ignorance, it appears it's a hidden thing, it appears impure, but it is rajabidja. it is the Rajaguyam, it is the chief secret, and it is the king of knowledge, and it is the the purest of the pure. So it is a world of feeling. Life is about feeling. It is well-thought-out feeling that that, that ultimately leaves, leaves thinking behind, it's automatic. There's no calculation, as we said the other day in the Bhradja Bhakti, for loving Krishna. Just like you don't calculate when you, if you stub your toe, you reach down and touch it automatically. Oh, ow. You don't think, something has hit my toe, or my toe has hit something. There is a pain. Perhaps I should touch it. (laughs) Because you're completely identified with it. So, immediately go there. So the braja-bhakti is like that in relation to Krishna, just as you are identified with every part of your body and if anything should happen to it you're there without thinking about it you're aware of it so they are connected with Krishna like this see what a high thing this is how how we get there we have to soften our heart and why I, we, we worship Krishna but our heart remains whole hard because we don't understand the universality of our deity. We think he's in the in temple, in my bead bag, in my guru, whenever he's here. But no, the object of our love is universal. So some, there's some value in hearing about, in a rudimentary way, how he's represented everywhere, because we are constantly in touch with all these things and thinking of them in relation to us. Krishna says here what rasoam apsakom deyaa water, life. What can we do without water? Now in Madhuvan, uh, in, in, in the jungle where we're establishing Ash ashram in Central America, then uh, we have so much good water. I told Donnie Mel, our kind of like shaman, a uh, uh, previous owner, <laughs> I said, Vita, uh, vida." water is life. And a big smile came to me, yes, he said, and water, so many things can come. So, with water, for example, we're lighting up the whole jungle by the power of the water, the force of the water. In a simple turbine, we're generating electricity and lighting the whole jungle. And then we can do so many things. Without water, there's no life. They found ice on Mars, right? Something like that. So, water is, water is life. You cannot live without water. Our body is made of primarily of water. It's liquid, and <laughs> we think of it as a solid, but it's a liquid. <laughs> we act like it's a solid too. So, I mean, how how are we not in touch with water? We're out of touch with Krishna, but we're not in, we're not out of touch with water. So, therefore, this is useful to think: I am the taste in water. And go go there. What is what is water? how essential it is to life. Every, so every time you touch water, you think of Krishna. You'll be thinking of Krishna pretty often. This is the idea. This is useful. Indeed, we are on a high path. We want to go to that Vraj-bhakti and tie Krishna with a rope or, or, or look over the wall like those other ladies and, or, or like Krishna's friends come and un- to want to untie him and so forth. But uh, to go there, Again, our heart has to soften. We have to begin to see the universality of the object of our love, of our deity, hmm? So that our love, our bhakti, is not only in the temple, but it's integrated, it's part of our very being. The teaching is to look at the guru, to find Krishna there. Look, If you look good enough, when you turn around, you'll see him everywhere. This is the idea. To give you a point to focus, he's there in a concentrated way. And if you take advantage, then you can see He's everywhere. This is what we call Krishna consciousness. That your consciousness is all attuned to Krishna only. So, we don't want to remain a The Uttumādhikāri sees, what is it, yāpaśyata babuteshu. he sees Krishna in everything, everything in Krishna. Everything reminding him of Krishna. Why not? Krishna's explaining it here. Why not? I am everything. Everything's in me. Uh, uh, I'm in everything. I'm aloof from everything at the same time. The whole makeup of the world, Maya and consciousness, this comes from me. These are my Shaktis. Let me help you think of me, he says to Arjuna, more or less. I'm the taste in water. Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur says in 2nd Canto, 12th uh, chapter, in his commentary, he says that it, meditation on the Lord for those whose hearts are not pure should begin with the Birata Rupa. He doesn't say it should begin with Radha Govinda and their Leelas, as described in the tenth canto by, and this is the most liberal theologian in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Vishwanath Chakal so this universal form, and we like to say this is a lesser thing and so forth, but we are lesser in our <laughs> bhakti <Bucky> also. <laughs> we are a are a little lower on the ladder than we might like to think. Yes, yes if you can see him everywhere and everything, then you can enter, the, enter his lila and understand it. But first you have to start to understand the universality of your deity. This is not... Uh, he, uh, appears in a medium-sized form, but the teaching is he's everywhere, in everything. So in water, he says, think of the taste of water, and Prabhupada once said, you, you give given a class, he quoted this verse, he said, so if a man is, 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 is even, uh, an alcoholic and he's drinking his wine and thinking Krishna's the taste in wine, he'll become Krishna conscious. <laughs> yeah, so... Krishna is giving ways, at any rate, how to think of him in the world. You can read these sections. This, this isn't to be glossed over. And it's very practical. You live in the world. Yeah, things that we mentioned here that we can't avoid, like water, like Prabhāsa uh, Mīsāsī He says, I'm the, I'm the taste in the water. I'm the light in the sun and the moon. That's a whole, that's a whole meditation. You can try it. You think of the sun. You watch the sun. In the morning, go somewhere, see the sunset, or wherever it comes up, wherever you live, and then, then, then stay in the sunlight, or some, or keeping eyesight of the sunlight, all day, or awareness of where the sun is. Just, you think of it, it's like Om Tat Vishnu Paramam Palam Sada Bhavishanti Sura Udi Bhagchakshuratatam Tat Viposo Vipanur Junglom Sa Samudri Vishnu Yat Paramam Palam. Hmm? Like the eye of God, His feet standing above us, over us. You can see with His feet, looking down. So, like, the sun sees everything. We, Of course, we think we see the sun. <laughs> but because of the sun, we can see. That's the fact. Right? So we have to re- reverse our thinking. Because of the sun, I can see. And, and just as the sun is looking down on me and sees everything, even when I forget about him, although I couldn't see without him. See how foolish it is. Without the sun we couldn't see. That is the adidaivic aspect in the macrocosm that co- corresponds with the microcosm of our eyes, the deity that presides over our vision. Without that Surya, without sun, we couldn't see. Some light is required for seeing. Light comes from the sun, direct or indirect. We're seeing on account of it, but we forget about it. And every now and then we look at it. Oh, there's the sun. Oh, that's, that's, there's the sun. But we don't stop to think, without you I could not see. And with some veneration, appreciate the sun. So as the sun is like, a, in a bhagata described like eye of God, the moon the other. So at night they've got you too. Both eyes of Bhagavan. Looking down. So if you think like this before you do anything, sun is watching. Again, there's nowhere to hide. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. <laughs> that's what we're doing. Running and hiding is an impossible task. But because we can't hide, whatever we do is recorded. That's karma. And that's there to chase us then. And that's why we're running. We're running for myself. And the so sun trying to shed some light on the whole thing for us. Look at how foolish this is. As much as it can symbolically represent the Godhead. The biggest thing in the in our universal experience, the sun, if it didn't rise tomorrow, it would, it would be a big news story. The sun didn't come up one day. It would change everything forever. So he says, I'm the light and the sun and the moon. We should think like this. This is a way of thinking about God. You follow the sun all day long. Hmm? Then you think, this is the eye of God. You'll have a wonderful day. Pranava Sarvaveda said, Pranava Omkar, this Om, this Rig Veda mantra Om, that Vishnu Paramam Param, that I quoted. Sridhar Maharshi a beautiful commentary on this. He says the Brahmins would chant this verse before everything. So, same idea. Vishnu is above, his feet are above. My light, my energy is coming from above, not from below, not from the ground below this world, but from the light above. This is where my vitality is coming from. So let me, in my movements below, connect myself with the light from above and move accordingly in the world. When I think myself, my sustenance, my my support to be coming from below, then I act slowly, like everyone else in that land. How much support comes from below? Not too much, therefore the struggle. If there's support, then why struggle? If someone's supporting you, then why will you struggle, right? Everything's paid for. We're trying to get our support from below, from the ground beneath us from matter. But we're struggling. So are we getting any support? Why are we struggling then? Do you understand? So no. There's no support in that. No support. Support comes from above and it's friendly to us. But we're hiding from that. He used to say, Shri they would quote this verse before doing anything. Try it. Om that, Vishnu Paramam Parampada... Vishnu is the eye of Vishnu is above his his feet looking down on me. Observe my protector, take my sustenance is coming from there. Before you do anything you chant that with how you will conduct yourself then in relation to him. The lowliness of the of of the world of matter and exploitation that will come out of you in this way. That'll be left behind. You will see through. This is not supporting me. Here I am only involved in the struggle with others. No one is being supported, and therefore we're all struggling. Jīva, Jiva Jīlanam. And in that, the real support comes from there. When I conduct myself in this world in relation to my support from above, then I will be a giver, not a taker. It will end the struggle for existence. So he says, I'm the Om Om. This is the primordial sound, the, the source of the, the shabda, the, the shruti, that which is heard. It's, uh, this is the idea, there's a, there's a sound, life has a sound. Krishna says here, I'm the sound in ether. Shabdikei, purusham, nishu. Ethers, space, everywhere. And permeated by sound. And om, the primordial sound. Just like math, right? right? So there's math. You have to go and find it, find the math, right? Newton found gravity. They call it Newton's law, but I mean it was already there. <laughs> he just found it, right? It was existing. He didn't really quite understand it that well. Apparently, the planets are moving because the space is curved. That's another. <laughs> it gets a little <laughs> physics. Gets a little spiritual there. <laughs> a little less uh, less uh, structured curved space so but there is gravity nonetheless and uh, so he found it Einstein found the the theory of relativity he found it in himself but it's already there right he found it it's already there so then we call it you know Einstein's theory of relativity it's Krishna's theory of relativity (laughs) Right, so so there so the, are laws, so there are sounds also. There are sounds that, that seek to guide human society and those who become tuned into them, to hear them. That's called shruti, And then they're named the Katupanishad or the Mundak upanishad. After the person who heard them recorded it for our benefit, then you have smriti with those people talking about the sounds and so forth. This is our then scriptural... Heritage and it all begins with Om. because Krishna says, "I'm the Om." So in this way, in this section, Punya cha, tejas jivanam tapas chasmi He says, "I'm the fragrance in earth. All the fragrance said to come from the earth. You know, all those flowers, <laughs> good smelling, beautiful flowers. They all come from the earth. The smell is in the earth." Punyagandho cha, so I'm the fragrance of the earth. Tejas chasma vibhava, I'm the I'm the fire, if the light and heat. The implication is in fire. So we are in touch with the point. Is again all these things? How can you live without fire? Right? You have to cook and have heat and so forth. It's a practical ways of understanding the universality of our deity. Jīvanam sarva bhūteshu, I am the life in all living beings. Tapas chasmī, tapas vishu, I tapas. Brahma heard the sound tapa, tapa, and he, and he acted accordingly. That tapa is Gopal mantra as described in Brahma Samhita, Gopal tapani. Upanishad in Brahma Samhita, swaha. Wovindaya, Wopajanavalamaya, Swaha. That that is tapa. Swaha means sacrifice, means giving. This is then this is the life of the ascetic, sacrifice. when devotee is an ascetic a yogi. Hmm? A tapasvi. This kind of tapasvi. Not just lying on a bed of nails, not how much you can fast and Impress somebody on the or something like that. It would be different for different people what is an austerity. It should be understood dynamically. If you never have hot water, then taking a cold shower all the time is not a big deal. But it might appear like, oh, they only take cold showers. But did you know they don't have hot water? <laughs> <laughs> I know. No. So, according to it, what maybe the austerity, austerity for one may not be for another. So, we don't, we, we tend to judge people by some... A static standard of austerity and their spirituality accordingly It doesn't have much to do with that sacrifice and giving that is the tapa that is the austerity that is the life of the ascetic who is giving and they could eat up to here if they can give every ounce of blood in their body the Mahapadal that is the teaching <laughs> Prashad up to the neck all of his associates they're and giving every ounce of blood that comes from that every drop of blood in service so this is as i said before we attracted some type of austerity we think this is this is spiritual because it's overtly different bhakti is difficult to understand it's just about serving that's all there's nothing special there that's all i do you mean i just serve that's right <laughs> that's it uh, you know we were the seeker this men, men and and, and if you go in India, you find all the rickshaw wallas are wearing the Sikh, uh, you think, well, oh, they're all devotees. Uh, no, that's the sign of the servant, the sudra, varna, That is the best varna. Because they all, they've got a natural inborn tendency to serve. So from the Vaishnava Vaishnav perspective, that is most desirable. We want that serving ego. They already have it. It just has to be directed. The Chatriya ego. Oh, ego, the Brahmin ego, the bhaisya ego—it's difficult to <laughs> to change that. So tapa, tapa, sacrifice, and bijamam, sabutanam. I'm the seed of every of all living being. Bidiparthasanatnam. Buddhi buddhimatham. That's me. I'm the I'm the wise. The wisdom of the wise. tejas Tejasvinam, the splendor of the splendid. Balam balabatam chaham dharma budheshu kamusmi And the strength of the strong, devoid of attachment and desire, it means it's the strength of, of sattva, that means dharma, this is strength, not the muscles, but the strength of dharma, of, of commitment, of to truth. Hmm? I, I'm the strength of the strong, devoid of Rajan Thomas, is what he's saying. The strength of sattva to do the right thing. That takes strength, doesn't it? want to be strong because you live in a world of falsity. So the tendency to succumb to falsity is just so easy. It's so readily available. Everyone else is doing it. Don't be like that. This is the idea. Don't do like that. And don't be part of the world. You Can be in it, but don't be over. Be strong. Krishna is the strength of doing the right thing. And Kama Raga Vibhajitam, and Dharma Virudha Buddheshu Kamo Smhijparata Shabha. He says, "I am I am love that is righteous." So if you want to love in this world, then do it right anyway. Within this world, there's some scope for that in the context of bhakti do rights without without exploitation with commitment and some meaning to that other than just uh, some business arrangement or less animal arrangement, something like that, something more to it and y he then he conclude pico Mataeveeti tanvidhi natvam am teeshute mahe, and indeed Krishna says, "Know all things, constitute of the gunas of sattva, rajas, and tamas, issue from me alone. At the same time, I am not in them; they are in me." Tribhir gunamaih bhavir abhisarvam jagat mohitam na bejanaati mam eva avyayam. Being deluded by the three gunas, the entire universe does not recognize me. I am transcendental to the gunas and inexhaustible. So having said what he said, then the question comes, well, wow, you're everywhere. You're in everything. You're all there is. How come people don't recognize you? This is why he explains to Arjuna. Because they're bewildered by the gunas. Although I'm everywhere, they don't recognize me. So, how to come out from underneath that influence? This is bhakti. This is the best way. Stop there. Any question? Krsna. You mentioned how uh, the sun is the deity of the eyes, or
1: the like. Uh, yeah. Alien. I was reading the Bhagavad and um, about, uh, Adi Purusha, Adi Purusha, and about the arya atmika purusa, arya dhyika purusa, and the arya bautika purusa and I didn't really understand how it works. I, is, uh, I mean the, the different jivas manifesting as these different forces, are they like divided? Is there, does the material body have a jiva separately from the senses?
0: Does the material body No. The idea is is that Adibotik Adi daivik Adi, adi It's also mentioned in this chapter. At the end of this chapter. These these topics are mentioned and then they're explained in the beginning of the eighth chapter of the Gita, so you can read that later today. But the general idea is that adi Adiatmik Adi Adi Dayvik? Adi adi also. It's like uh there's the Lord in the heart, there's the Lord in nature, in the macrocosm, the, the daiva, con, the trina, the, the controlling influence of the Godhead. And that is some correspondence with the, the manifestation of our body. So this is uh, sometimes also described in terms of adhibhautik, adi, adiatmic sometimes I means the miseries is a little different but adi atmic miseries of the body adi botic miseries of other living beings adi miseries that come from nature and so forth so the purushas is three manifestations of krishna he's the adi yogya he's the adi atma he's the adi adi <laughs> he's the adi purusha <laughs> Adiyatma, karibhotak, Deva. I don't, don't remember exactly how it's described there in Tattva But But um, again, in the eighth chapter, Krishna has mentioned this at the end of the seventh chapter. And he says, What is Adiyatma? What is Adiybhotak? What is adhideva? What is Adiyagya? And how, who is the Adiyagya? How is he situated in the body? Adiyatmic, Adibotic, Adidayvik—no, no, Adi yogi mentioned here. So the Adiyatmic refers to the to the jiva here, and Tattvasandharma, who is embodied, and the embodiment is called the Adibotic. It's called Adiyatmic Adi purusha, the Adibotic purusha. So. Everything's personified, it appears, in Krishna consciousness. So the body is the adi, adi, adibhotic purusha. The jiva inside the body is the adiatmic purusha. So the body's a kind of a person. The is a kind of a person. And the adi-daivic purusha, again, that recur- refers to like the sun, for example, or the, 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 in the macrocosm, in nature that those aspects of nature that correspond with the Adi Purusha, the body, which is made up of senses, basically. Our is made up of senses, so there's corresponding representation in, in, in heavens, if you will. So there's the jiva, there's the body and then there's and there's the the cosmos that corresponds with our psyche and with our senses that clear, more clear. More clearer. yeah I mean it's there's no there's it's, it's not that complicated But the terms make it sound more more complicated it's basically again the jiva the body and then the corresponding influence of the devatas which is Krishna's influence that brings our body to life in another way I mean the jiva brings it to life by being there as consciousness but in terms of its functioning, that body, it is dependent upon um, aspects of nature. So for seeing, again, we're dependent upon light. So sun is the corresponding deity of, of the sense of sight. And there's a corresponding deity for sense of smell and taste and so forth and so on. and it's kind of a beginning idea of of God consciousness to make that connection and live reverentially in the world with regard to um, all the, the powers of nature. It's not just some uh, superstitious idea of backwards people. It's a pretty well kind of thought out idea that there's a correspondence. My eyes or my capacity to see is dependent upon light. Here's the greatest manifestation of light. In my in in the world of my experience, so I have regard for that. So it's a, uh, and, you know, and it doesn't matter if the sun's closer to the moon or the moon's closer to the sun. It's what is <laughs> that's not the point there of the of the Bhagavad cosmology. The, the idea is that we have a, we should have a cosmology that uh, makes sense in terms of our world view. And our in our our worldview, means that that cosmology must be a living cosmology, must be alive, must be informed, must have some power in it. And you know, indeed, it does. It has it has power over our our lives in so many respects. So, the Greeks and the ancient Indians and so forth they had some sense about this. How well they articulated it, and you know, as, as, and, and how well their instruments were for finding out distances and what uh, may be another thing, but they, they they saw it as alive in today's world with all of its instruments and refinery sees it as dead. That's the problem. So, okay. Another question. Yes. On the
2: last, uh, the last uh, lecture, you could have said that uh, on the path of bhakti you have to be sincere.
0: Have to what? Be sincere? Be sincere.
2: I would like to ask what does it mean to be sincere uh, on the path of bhakti and how can we know that we are
0: sincere? Well, I think that if you if you want to know how you can know you'll, you're sincere, it must be a sign of your sincerity. So I used to, I, when I was young in the Prabhupada's mission, I used, to, I used to pray that I could be sincere about being sincere. That was my prayer. <laughs> so don't cheat yourself you're really going to get in accordance with the extent that you give. You hold back, and, and you can give in any circumstance. You can be anywhere. You can be in Poland or Finland or Sweden or in, 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 the, in the monastery or out. But if you give yourself sincerely according to your situation, then you'll make progress, and you'll know. So if you don't make progress, then you're not getting a reciprocation, then... You you have to give more. It's pretty simple. It's too simple. I know. <laughs> it's just too simple. We want a more profound answer or some some trick or something. But it's it's really that straightforward. Bhakti's like that. So it makes it hard because we're very complicated. We've made our lives very complicated. Yes.
2: You mentioned that. Uh Today that some souls are made from Swarup-Shakti and some from And my question is, what determines which souls determines?
0: What determines
2: which souls are from which shakti?
0: Well, you can you can determine from Shastra which is which. But uh, these are not things that have origins. It's a little hard to talk about who made what about. How were they made? When were they made? What did Krishna decide to make this one out of this and this one out of that? But basically, Krishna has his abode and his associates. They're all constituted of swarup shakti. So Krishna is not without his swarup shakti. You follow? That's his own nature. And it's manifest in the form of his associates. Mm -hmm. There are other jivas who aren't his associates, and they are constituted of the shakti and they are manifest from the Mahavishnu in the Shriṣṭi-līlā of this world. Nonetheless, that Sarup-Shakti of Bhagavan is very, very generous. So it it manifests in this world through Guru Parampara and gives Jīvas jiva-shakti that are manifest from the Mahavishnu, the chance to associate with Bhagavan and interact with him just like the Sarup shakti and in their company. And it does so by Im- imbuing the jiva with Swarup shakti so that it can function in that realm. Hmm? So why is there a jiva-shakti? Why is there a Sarup shakti you could say for the sake of Leela and the Leela is varied and, and and so forth. Why is there a why is there a Paramatma which is Mahavishnu or any of the, Vish, the Purusha the Parusha Vishnu, three Purushas Ma Vishnu, Garbudaksha all the Paramatma manifestations of Paramatma. I mean so why is there Brahman? Why is there Bhagwan? Well Paramatma and Brahman they represent cognition and, and existence. And so, you can have an existence that's not cognitive, right? You can have an existence that's not aware of itself, but you cannot have, aware, can have awareness that does not exist, right? Uh, you can have a cognitive existence that's not joyful. But if you have joy, then you also have cognizance to experience it and uh, existence. So Bhagwan is joy, primarily, but he so so he exists and he's aware of his existence. So the Paramatma and Brahman, are particular manifestations of the Godhead that primarily represent his cognizance and his is his, his existence whereas the Bhagwan primarily represents his joy his ananda Satchit ananda. So Bhagwan is satya ananda so he exists he's aware of his existence and that existence is joyful by nature. So these three features of the Godhead represent primarily one of these three. Not that there's no bliss in Brahman or Paramam, there's some, but full bliss is in Bhagwan, hmm? and cognizance is more manifested in, in Paramatma. I mean, he's the all-knowing overseer of everything. Krishna's not busy like that. No, he's he's trying to hide from, you know, Radha and his mother-in-law and so forth. He's not busy in everybody's heart, watching over what everybody's doing inside of every atom and and so forth. Hmm? Paramatma's doing that. And Brahman is, ex- is existence. So there are three features of the Godhead. And Paramatma feature, from that Paramatma come so many jivas because he's that feature of the God that oversees the world, which is Jeevas and, and Maya. I mean, you can't ask, why is there matter? Why, I mean, why is there God? There are things that are, and, and they are to be described. Within the context of that, there may be some why, but if life, as we teach, is about love, then there is no why to love. Love knows no reason. So it doesn't have to be reason. Mm-hmm. But, but still, I'm just trying to explain in, in some way why there are things that there are, why there's a material world. Because there's a feature of the Godhead, Godhead is constituted of Sat one way of describing. Him. So there's a feature of himself that primarily represents Sat, a feature that primarily represents Um, Chit, uh, a feature that primarily represents Ananda. And then there are paths for Jivas to take will acquaint them with primarily one aspect or another. You follow? Hmm. Mm -hmm. Gyan, yoga, and bhakti. So uh, then for the paramatma, cognitive, well, he's got to know something. Hmm, So... (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's what he's about so he knows everything he knows every atom of the maya shakti and its relationship with the Jeev shakti which comes from him he, the paramatma manifests the world those two shaktis that Krishna spoke about they're manifesting from the paramatma there's the whole world Krishna's behind it because the purusha the paramatma comes from him so those souls why are they jivas why aren't they swoop swarup- why aren't they Srup shakti well they aren't srup shakti because then they wouldn't be able to function in, in the in the world there are some who chooses maybe that's your question which one gets to be which something like that there that there's no there's no like beginning to that there's no like i think i'll make this one Swarup Shakti. <laughs> uh, let's see. Flip a coin. Jiva Shakti. No, he shouldn't think of it like that. Hmm. These are energies of Bhagwan. What you should know is you're one of them. You're one of those energies. And what your what your possibilities are in life, Scripture is telling you. You can associate with Swarup Shakti. You're in a better position. You can be here, or you can be there. They can only be there. <laughs> in case you were wondering why you didn't get to be a Shrub, Shakti. the coin came up heads when it was flipped for you, and you got, <laughs> got to be got to get live in both realms. The possibility Shrub Shakti can't live here. If it comes here, it's not really here. So you can really be here. Another question? Yes.
2: I was like always wondering when Lord Chaitanya came uh, here, why didn't he... Uh, deal, well, why didn't he gave prema to everyone? But then I heard on lectures that that's because it is very secret and people, they, they don't really... they are not really interested in that. They, they are more interested in uh, sense enjoyment. But then... Uh, Yesterday you said, uh, uh, Lord Chaitanya, he was giving Bhakti uh, to everyone, and Lord Nityananda, he was giving to people even
0: if they resisted. Mm-hmm. So he said that Mahaprabhu gave whoever asked, he would give, and Mahaprabhu, Nityananda Prabhu would give those who, who who resisted. Yeah, that's a way of talking about their their mercy, but he didn't give to everyone because he didn't meet everyone. <laughs> Right. Whoever he met, he gave it to. But he didn't meet everyone. Didn't have time. <laughs> he was a busy man. He was because he wasn't really looking for him. Actually, he was looking for Radha's love. In the context of that, he bumped into a bunch of people.
1: <laughs>
0: and they got Prem. <laughs> That's how it worked out. He's looking. He was. He wasn't fully conscious. That's the problem. <laughs> He wasn't fully aware of his yuga-dharma. He was more aware of his prema-dharma, the pursuit of prema-dharma. So he didn't do that good of a job this time on the yuga-dharma due to extenuating circumstances. But whoever he managed to bump into, they got prema And those people bumped into other people. This is called Guru Parampara, bumping into people. Just happened to meet you. And <laughs> So, something like that. He's, he's, he left something else. He left something for his devotees to do, to give praying to other people. You want him to give it to everybody, but that's impossible. Why is it impossible? Because there's there's no limit to the number of people there are. <laughs> so how can you give it to everybody? It's never ending. There's never an end. There's infinite number of jivas. So, so he's always giving. Your your turn will come. Just you know, be patient. <laughs> that's the idea. You had to be patient. Why doesn't he do it all at once? Well, that's his it's prerogative, right? Of course, he he wants us to want that. This is the idea. But these things, kind of non-question questions, and they shouldn't be asked or. In such a way, or, or allowed to be um, a, an obstacle for your getting frame. We think, well, why didn't he give? Maybe he didn't give at all. Why didn't you know, maybe maybe there's a reason I, I shouldn't apply myself? And this is how it kind of comes out. It's kind of the, the questions tend to like foster holding back on your part. You should be aw- aware of. Th- and try to understand the opportunity that presents itself to you. And it's a good opportunity, so you don't ask ask, why am I here? Am I here? Or is it really happening? Or if you take advantage of it, apply yourself and you'll understand you're part of something very uh very a very wonderful opportunity has come your way. But to the to the will of God Then will it have to answer our our reasoning? Why God does what he does? Who is he to answer to? Who is to blame if we think he's done something? There is no one else. We're shaktis of Bhagavan. We don't have an independent existence. That's the problem. We think we do, and therefore we can question his activity (laughs) as if we're the the jury or something on him. But um, it's only him. So... He's moving as he as he sees fit, and it won't always make sense to us from our vantage point. So the whole teaching has come out from an, from that um, limited vantage point. Then everything will make sense to you. All right, so we'll stop there. Simad